Blog Talk Radio. Well, here we go, ladies and gentlemen. It's a trifecta. We started in Pittsburgh, went to Oakland, and now we end up in Seattle. Standing above the crowd podcast hosted by my brother, a mentor, a friend, James Donaldson. Yours truly, Mark Mancini, producing it. 347-205-9631. You can listen live or you can catch the archive on blogtalkradio.com forward slash Mancini Sports podcast platforms wherever you subscribe to powered by Mancini Media. So, it's more him, less of me, Layla Rent carpet down, looking like the Oscars, put the podium in its place, hand off the mic. First of all, James, how are you? Second of all, how can people get a hold of you? And third of all, you're bringing another great guest through your great show, my friend. Hey, thanks so much, and good morning, Mark. Uh, I am doing just great, and it's just so good to come together every weekend like we do and bring these, uh, these great guests on board and have a nice conversation uh, where they get a lot of time to talk and, you know, talk about their background, their, their sporting history, career, and all the rest of those things. So, yes, we do have another great guest on today. I'm really happy to uh, introduce him in just a second. Uh, folks can get a hold of me at James D at standingabovethecrowd.com, which is my personal email address. Comes directly to me. And shoot us a comment about what you think about the show, uh, some suggestions on some guests you'd like to see on the show coming up. Uh, we'll keep bringing them to you week after week, and that's what this is all about. Uh, our, our tagline to this show is not only standing above the crowd with James Donaldson, but it's all about sports, life, and a whole bunch more. So we want people to be inspired, uh, to really hear some interesting, intriguing stories, uh, some great personalities that we bring uh, week after week. Uh, and today, with no exception, is a is a fellow I've known for several years, um, a former NBA basketball player, former University of Washington Husky basketball player, and now doing some uh, some commentating, color commentating for the Pac-12 Network of basketball. And he can go into that in a lot more detail as we introduce our guests for today, Mr. Eldridge Verkasner. Eldridge, how are you doing today? I'm good, James. How are you, man? Hey, I'm doing just great. It's been a while since I've seen you, since the pandemic, I guess. But uh, before then, we used to catch up on the regular, uh, serving our time with the retired NBA uh, Players Association. So we did a lot of good work with them. And uh, and now I know you're back into your 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 college basketball commentating, which you've been doing off and on and quite a bit of for several years. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, I know it's a passion of yours, something you want to get into more and more. And what has life been like after the game, after the NBA career that you had? Yeah, for sure. So I've been working with the Pac-12 Network for seven years now. Uh, I've been calling games for Fox Sports for two years, and this is the first year that I got a couple ESPN games as well. I did a regular season game with ESPN, and then I did an NIT tournament game. Um, So I've been in the broadcast world for TV for about seven years, obviously for radio a lot longer than that. But uh, right after I finished playing, I got into real estate. I was a real estate investor. That's probably the only thing I've been as passionate about as basketball, as, as real estate. So uh, I did that up until the, the meltdown in 2008, 2009. Um, <laughs> you know, kind of was trying to figure out what I was going to do after that, and that's when I got into got into broadcasting. So uh, 
it's just nice to still be close to the game. I I thought I would probably be in coaching, but I had four kids and I didn't really want to leave them and kind of bounce all around the country like I did as a player. Um, so I've kind of settled my way. And as a broadcaster and uh, as George and Weezy say, I, I'm moving on up, James. I'm making some progress, man. Anytime you get to the worldwide leader in sports, ESPN, that's a good thing. That is a wonderful thing. That's right. And and a good move, not bouncing around all over the country, staying close to home, uh, being with the family. I, I know you live in the Seattle area, uh, former University of Washington Husky. And so uh, before we get too far into this, though, let's, let's talk about the Huskies. And, you know, I know they've struggled a little bit the last couple of years, trying to put it all back together again. You would think a top uh, top-level program like the Huskies and virtually all of Division One sports would be able to recruit some, some real blue-chip uh, players to the program. What's going on with that, and what do you see in their near future, next two or three years for the Washington Huskies? Well, they have recruited some blue-chip guys. They, they recruited two of the top five players in the country just, just a couple years ago, and Isaiah Stewart and Jaden McDaniels, and I think a part of the problem is when you go after those highly related top 25 guys, most of them are one and done, and that's exactly what happened with Isaiah Stewart and Jaden McDaniels. Both of them went pro after their freshman year, and that's going to set any program in the country back unless you North Carolina, Duke, or Kentucky that gets top five players every single year. University of Washington has never really had two guys that were that were ranked in the top five come at the same time and then leave at the same time. So I think it was somewhat of a setback, and – uh you know, this past season, they just they missed out on some great players. They missed out on Paulo Bancaro, who went to Duke, when who went to uh, he originally signed with Kentucky, and then he he committed and signed with Gonzaga. And then there was another kid named Shane Noel that signed with the University of Arizona. But they were all local Seattle area kids that decided that they wanted to leave the area and go somewhere else and play college basketball. So it would have been nice to get those guys, but uh, they ended up doing, I think, what everybody's doing now, James. The days of recruiting high school kids as freshmen and developing seem like it's over. Everybody's going to the transfer portal now, and that's what the Washington Huskies did last year. They got Terrell Brown, Jr., who was at Arizona. They got P.J. Fuller, who was at TCU. They got Dejon Davis, who was at Stanford. And they got another young man named Matthews, who played for West Virginia. They're all from the Seattle area. They all came back. They started off really bad, and uh, they were getting ready to play Arizona, UCLA, and Gonzaga all in a row, and they were all ranked in the top ten at the time. And I honestly thought they were going to lose all three of them, but they went on COVID restrictions, and it was the best thing that ever happened to them going into the COVID protocol. Mm-hmm. They avoided mm-hmm. those games, and when they came out, they kind of turned the corner, man, and, and, and really, I thought, made it a respectable season. I think they finished fifth and sixth in the Pac-12 when they were picked to finish 11th. Um, they didn't yeah. make the NIT or the NCAA, but I, I thought it was a good turnaround. They finished 11-9 in Pac-12 play and 17-15 and 15 overall. So I, I thought it was a it was a successful season as far as when you look at what the expectations were. Yeah, yeah. You know, and as we're getting accustomed to saying, wait until next year. Uh, you know, but you're right. With all the one-and-dones, the transfer port- uh, pro- protocol, uh, portal and and the guys are just rotating through year after year unless you are a team you're missing a couple of them duke and north carolina and kentucky that can reload every year with almost five blue chip players coming in every single year uh you're going to have those ups and downs those off years those good years 
So um, now the other question up here in the Northwest that we all talk about and are wondering about is Gonzaga University. Gonzaga, again, rated number one going into the, uh, the March Madness, the tournament, the Sweet 16, and they got knocked off. What is up with Gonzaga, and will they ever win the big one? I think Gonzaga's become a victim of their own expectations, James. You know, they've, they've been good for so long, so it's not enough just to make the tournament or make it to the Sweet 16, which is, which is a great season for almost any other program in America. But for Gonzaga, it's a national championship or nothing. And, and, and what I see is from the coach on down to the players, I, I think they feel the pressure. I, I feel sorry for the Gonzaga fans. I, I know that sounds crazy, but I do because every year – it doesn't seem like they can enjoy the tournament. You know, you, you compare Gonzaga to a team like St. Peter's who has nothing to lose. You know, it's a saying they're playing with house money, so they're out there playing free because nobody expects them to do anything, so they don't feel any pressure. Vice versa, everybody expects – I thought Gonzaga was going to win the whole damn thing this year. I really did. I yeah. love their team. I think Zoo Timmy is one of the best players in college basketball. I love Chet Holmgren. If I was a GM, I would have taken number one overall. But I just see them feeling the pressure when the games are close. And I, I joke around all the time on social media. I said they're waiting as hell like Angela Bassett, man. And I just think it's the truth. They just can't, they can't, enjoy, it. They can't enjoy the tournament because there's so much pressure to win a national championship. And I think the question now is, can Mark Few do it? He's a fantastic coach. He dominates the WCC. He's going to get you to the tournament. He's going to get you at least to the Sweet 16. But unfortunately, yeah. it doesn't look like he can win it all. I think they can well, have more talent than what they did this year, and they still didn't win it. I, I know you're right, yes. And, and, and they play in the conference, the conference they play in. Do you think that prepares them adequate, adequately enough for the NCAA tournament when it comes around? You know, they beat everybody in the non-conference, James. I, I don't think the WCC is as good as the, the Power Five conferences. I mean, Gonzaga obviously is elite, but after Gonzaga, there's a huge drop-off. I mean, your school beat yeah. BYU, you know, at, at yeah. BYU and NIT to make it to the Final Four. So I think that has something to do with it. When you're not playing against – when you win a league 20 damn years in a row, that should tell you something. That league's not that damn good. That's the message that I get. <laughs> you know, you don't see Duke winning the ACC every year. You don't see UCLA winning the Pac-12 every year. You don't, Well, Kansas kind of does win, win the Big 12 almost every year. But I've never seen a situation where a team just dominates a conference like that then they get into the tournament. I mean, two years in a row, James, little guards have destroyed them, man. Last year was Davion Mitchell from Baylor. And this year, I never heard of J.D. Note, but I know who the hell he is now because he just flat out gave to Gonzaga. Yeah, yeah, they really did. And, uh, you know, I wonder about if their conference play is really preparing them well enough. But uh, they get that deer-in-the-head-like look when they get to the big games. I mean, they'll get into the, the NCAA tournament, no problem. But then they get to the Sweet 16, the 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 eight, uh, you know, the final eight, final four, and the pressure you can tell just builds and builds and builds until they just uh, find they find a way to give it away almost, and it's just really too bad. But one day, hopefully, one day, one year, they'll bring it on home, and we'll see what happens with that. Um, I thought this year was their best shot. Yeah, yeah. Well. There's a Cinderella team everyone's talking about now, St. Peter's. Uh, they have upset a couple of, uh, you know, highly ranked teams back on the East Coast. And what do you think about St. Peter's? And uh, now they're going up against North Carolina next. Can they do it again? 
If I'm North Carolina, I'm nervous because those guys are fearless. I've never mm-hmm. damn heard of St. Peter's. I had to Google it and see where it was when they beat Kentucky. So I was like, well, where is this school? But I just love the grit they play with. And, you, and, and everyone knows, James, unless you got a Patrick Ewing or Keem Elijahwan or Ralph Sampson, it's about your guard play in a tournament if you don't have a dominant big man like that. And they've got four yeah. guards that can flat out play. They're not afraid. They're poised. They're confident. And like I said, they're playing with house money, man. They, their coach had experience making it deep into the tournament as a player, so he knows what that's all about. And as a coach, man, I just think he's fantastic. I watch the sets that they run, and, and they get wide open. Look, he's an excellent X and O coach, Coach Holloway, and he's an excellent motivator, man. I mean, there is, they play the way you expect Gonzaga to play. No pressure, mm-hmm. cool as the other side of the pillow, and vice versa. Gonzaga's playing has played the way you would expect St. Peter's to play, a team that's never been there before. But they show no fear. You know, I, I heard their coach say, hey, man, I got kids from New Jersey and New York. You think we're scared of somebody? And they're playing like mm-hmm. it. They're not scared. They're not intimidated by anybody. And it wouldn't surprise me if, if they knock off North Carolina as well because right now, Man, I tell you what, it just looked like destiny for them. I mean, if you'd have told me that yeah. they were to beat Kentucky, I would have said you're crazy. And to make it to the Elite Eight, all I can say is wow. You know, that would be quite the story if they do uh, beat North Carolina. But every year, I mean, and I, this is what I love about March Madness, is the Cinderella stories that come out of nowhere. And they take it to the, the David and Goliath. They take it to Goliath. They slay him many times. And they just keep on making history for themselves, putting themselves on the map. It's such a great thing to see for college athletics, for the kids that are playing, uh, both men and women's basketball. Great to see these schools come out of nowhere and do that. Um, g- give me your take. Now, you, you were an NBA player for, I believe, eight years, eight seasons in the NBA. Uh, give me your take and your contrast and comparisons between the college game we see now and the NBA game we see now, not the NBA game 20 or 30 years ago, the game we see now. What's, what's your take on, on both styles of play? I don't think NCAA has changed that much. You know, March Madness is the best thing in sports. You can talk about the Super Bowl. You can talk about the NBA Finals. There's nothing like March Madness. I mean, you, I don't even fill out a bracket, James. I, I learned a long time ago Filling out a bracket is a damn waste of time because, <laughs> I mean, who, who's going to pick St. Peter's to make it to the Elite Eight? So I just try to enjoy the game, and, and that's it. But I don't think the college game has, has changed much because the college kids are playing for a chance at the next level. So they've got to go 100%. they got to give it 100% effort all the time because they're trying to make a name for themselves. They're trying to play in the NBA or either get overseas. So they're, they're going to always be motivated. The NBA game has completely changed. The physicality is gone. You know, you can't touch anybody anymore. Uh, I love Steph Curry. I think he's the greatest shooter that ever played, but I don't think he would do what he's doing if he played in our era, you know, in the 90s mm-hmm. and, and in your era in the yeah. 80s. I just don't think he would because if he was showboating and showing off like that in the game, Rick Mahorn, Bill Lambeer, <laughs> Charles Oakley was going to knock the hell out of you, man. And you just don't see that anymore. It looks like to me the, the NBA game today, the NBA was so worried about scoring so they eliminated hand checking. They eliminated the, the the physical play, and now any damn body could, could could be good. And I mean, it just it just wasn't like that back in the day. And it seems like it's more entertainment now than competition. You know, you you wasn't going out to dinner with a guy you was getting ready to play against in the playoffs back when, in our era. Now these guys are yeah. hanging out. You dunk on somebody today, hell, the guy you dunked on might high five you. 
that wasn't happening back in the 90s, man. So it's a completely different game. I think the college game is more pure because it doesn't matter who's left in this. All the top guys could go pro, and the games are still going to be fantastic. I doubt St. Peter's has one NBA player on their team, but they're an elite yeah. So this goes to show you how special it is, man. And I think one of the other differences is it's not a series. It's one game. And if you're a great motivator yeah. like Coach Holloway or, or, or like Jimmy V, man, anything is possible. And that, that that's what makes March Madness so special. That's right. And, and you're coaching young, young men in college. Uh, like you said, they have nothing to nothing to lose. They've got to put it all out there every single game. Uh, they got a lot riding on it. They're trying to get, get to that next level. In the pros, you're, you're coaching men. I mean, guys who are 20, 22, 24 years old, they've got tens of millions of dollars on their contract in their bank. Uh, the motivation just doesn't seem to be there. And I, I was I was one of the big guys back then, of course. And so, you know, the way I see these big guys now getting dunked on left and right, and like you said, just about giving a high five for being posterized, you know, that would never have happened back in our day. That, that's just ridiculous, some of the things we see nowadays. <laughs> oh, boy. Hey, uh, I'm looking at your list of teams you played for, the Denver Nuggets, Houston Rockets, Atlanta Hawks, Charlotte Hornets, Los Angeles Clippers. Where would you say your your, your best stop uh, for any of those teams was where you played the best of your pro career during those those years? Oh, that's, that's really easy. Atlanta Hawks with Lenny Wilkins, you know, Mm-hmm. Hall of Fame coach, Hall of Fame player, was a guard, so most of his sets were ran for guards. And I think uh, one of my years in Atlanta, I averaged just under 10 points a game, about 9.8 points a game, and that was my best season. Uh, I'd say probably my most fun season, too, but I, I, I got to put the Houston Rockets after they won the back-to-back championships. Just traveling with a team of Elijah Wine and Clyde Drexler, man, was like traveling with Dan yeah. Hurst winning five <laughs> on the Jackson <laughs> Five or something, man. I mean, it was just unbelievable, but I will say Atlanta and Houston was my two favorite stops. And uh, playing for Lenny and then playing for a guy like Rudy Tom Donovan's man, Hakeem Olajuwon was the second-best player I ever saw in my era. You know, Michael Jordan, I think, yeah. was number one, but Dream was right behind him. I mean, he was he was just phenomenal. I'm pretty sure you got a taste of him a few times, eh? <laughs> yeah, Dream was, <laughs> Dream was the real deal. <laughs> yeah, Dream was no joke, I tell you. Uh, I tell folks, you know, it was uh, Kareem was my my goat, you know, and I I played in the Michael yeah. Michael Jordan era as well. But Kareem, you didn't have to go up against Kareem like I did. You went against Michael, <laughs> and so, uh, uh, but you know, seeing Kareem with those sky hooks night after night, uh, and then Moses, and then Akeem was one after another. All these great big players back in the day. Uh, you know, you, you were quite a shooter. I'm looking at your your statistics here. Forty-one percent from three-point. Well, why you sounding uh, surprised, man? You've been knowing me for years, and you sounded surprised talking about you looking <laughs> at my statistics. I was, like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about, James? Come on, man. <laughs> you know, because all, all the years I've known you, Eldridge, we we haven't talked that much basketball. We talked, you know, we talked business, we talked life, we talked, you know, retired player stuff. Uh, but. Yeah, 41% for, from three and 89% free throw percentage. Wow. Well, uh, you it, were... it's, obvious you didn't, it, it's obvious you didn't keep up with your Washington State Cougars when I used to go over there on the Palooza and give them the business in my college days. Ah. <laughs> I see you wasn't watching. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't keep up that close. No, no, no. Uh, yeah. 
Hey, uh, any any desire to get back into coaching? I know you did a little bit of coaching, assistant coaching, and all that. You still want to get into that? Well, you know what? I actually just did. Uh, a friend of mine brought a, a TBL team, the basketball league. It's, it's kind of like the CBA type of a deal, minor league like the G League. And uh, a friend of mine just bought a team and asked me to coach it. So next year, we'll be launching the Seattle Superhawks. And it's in the TBL. It's called the Basketball League. There's a guy named David Magley that played at the University of Kansas. I think they got about 44 teams this year. He told me about next year he wants to push it up to 60 teams. So I actually am getting back into coaching, James. So that's a, a timely question, man. Um, yeah, gonna 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 throw my hat in the ring and see if I can help some of these guys, you know, get noticed. But you know, obviously the ultimate goal is to get called up to the NBA. But if they can get over to Europe somewhere, uh, or, or or maybe even Asia and play and make some money at the professional level, I think it'd be fantastic. So I am throwing my hat back into the coaching ranks. I think we're going to try to put together a summer league team. Uh, the TBL has a spot down there in Vegas doing NBA summer league time where they, they play in a summer league as well. So we're going to try to put a team together sometime in June to go down in July and play in that. And then we're going to launch for the 2023 season. And, again, it's going to be called the Seattle Superhawks in the Basketball League, the TBL. Mm, mm, wow. And, and they're going to play in Seattle or out of Seattle elsewhere? We're going to play in Seattle. We're, we're Right now we're looking at Seattle Pacific University as a site and Garfield High School as a site. Okay, excellent, excellent. And I, I know you got coaching in, in your blood. I, you love the game so much. You, you're commentating and announcing all the time. Uh, would you like to take it up to the next level, up to NBA level perhaps, the assistant coaching, the head coaching, those kind of things? I sure would, man. It's, it's always been a dream of mine to to coach. You know, I, I think I could probably be more impactful at the collegiate level because I'm just I'm just passionate about helping young guys. I had so many bad coaches in my time, James, that I just want to give back to somebody, man. You know, I I would hate for somebody to go through what I went through in, in, in my playing days, especially at the collegiate level. I mean, my my coach at the University of Washington, my last year was a complete nightmare, man, and uh. You know, when I finally uh-huh. made it to the NBA, I was like, well, damn, you know, I'm better than a lot of these guys. But I felt like I almost got blackballed. So if I can be positive influence on some on some young men at the collegiate yeah. level, I would love to do that. But the, and the NBA is great, too, when you think about the money and the travel. But I, I just think I could probably be more impactful at the collegiate level. When I look at what, what, what Coach Holloway is doing at, at St. Peter's, man, you, you can't help but smile. I mean, he's, he's giving yeah. those young men – memories that's going to last for the rest of their lives and it's going to give them confidence to think that they can do anything because when they look back and realize that they beat Kentucky, which is one of the most prestigious college basketball programs in all of America, they're going to be like, wow, we did that. And I think that's just going to catapult them to success in the rest of their lives. And, and that's what I'm all about, man, just trying to be a positive influence on somebody because still till today there's, there's a lot of bad coaches out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're right. The influence you have on young people and you're developing them into not only great athletes and great players, but great people, too, with good character to carry on after the game is really what what's so wonderful about coaching and, and mentoring and all those kind of things. I think sports does it as best as any other avenue that young people can be on. And it's just a great thing to be involved with. And, uh, you know, I hope you get into it more and more. I hope that all the best to you. 
you know the game so well. You're passionate about it, and that's really what it takes. Uh, someone who just really can convey all of that to our to our next generation of players coming up. Yeah, hey, uh, I'm looking at your your Wikipedia page here, and uh, there's a little paragraph in here about when you played the Bulls in the second round, 1997 playoffs. Uh, do you remember <laughs> yeah. hitting? Yeah, I'm going to read this to to our audience here. You, you hit you hit two three pointers on Steve Kerr. Phil Jackson called a timeout and to break the momentum. After the timeout, Michael Jordan switched over to you to defend you. And you remember asking him, wait a second, what are you doing? And Jordan quickly responded, I'm here to shut you down. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, take, take it from there. What, what happened? Take it from yeah, there. Yeah, you know, we, we, we always matched up well with the Bulls. For, for, you know, we, we had the Kimmy Mutombo, we had Christian Leitner, we had Steve Smith, and we had Mookie Blaylock. So we had a really good team in Atlanta. Just like everybody yeah. else, we just couldn't get past the Bulls. But we matched up well with them, James. The year they won 72 games and lost 10, we beat them one of those games. And uh, I always played well against the Bulls. You know, Steve Kerr, I have remembered since our college days. Steve played at Arizona. I played at the UW. So I was used to playing against Steve. And I was giving him the business that day. I think I had 12 points in the second quarter off the bench. And, yeah, they called timeout. And the next thing I know, Michael Jordan's on me. And, and I asked him, what are you doing? He's like, I'm here to shut you down. I don't think I scored anymore after that. <laughs> yeah, Mike, Mike was the truth, man. You said Kareem is your GOAT, which I can't argue with. I think Kareem is in that conversation for greatest players of all time. But in my era, man, yeah. I've never seen anybody like Michael Jordan. And I, I, I'll oh, tell I know. this story to your audience, James. You know, when I was a rookie and I would check into the games, you know, most of the superstar guys didn't know who I was because I wasn't drafted. We never made the NCAA tournament, so I, I didn't have a run like St. Peter's. And, but I could shoot, so I knocked down a couple of shots, and then they was like, well, okay, damn, I got the guard this guy. Man, the first time I played against Michael Jordan, he was on me like white on rice, and I was thinking to myself, damn, I wonder if somebody <laughs> told him I said something about him or something, you know? So finally, a couple of players later, I asked him, I said, man, why are you guarding me so hard? I said, you know, most of the most of the superstar guys don't even pay attention to me until I make a couple of shots. He said, man, I just yeah. want you to know why I'm considered the best. And ever since that oh. first game I played against him when I was with the Houston Rockets, I've always had respect for him, James, because I don't think Hollywood could write a script better than what Michael Jordan did in real life, man. I mean, he was just – we all know who was going to get the ball, but it just wasn't a yeah. damn thing you could do about it. I mean, he was absolutely the best. And not only offensively, the reason I think he's the greatest of all time because he was the best offensive player in the league and he was one of the best defensive players in the league. Now, you played the That's game, and you know how hard that is to be good on both ends of the court because it takes so much energy to be a great scorer, and it takes a lot of energy to be a great defender. And when you're both of them, man, that's about as impressive as it gets. That's exactly right, yeah. And I was around when Michael first came in the league, and he was a great, great individual player, putting up tremendous numbers, statistics. And it took him four or five seasons to finally, you know, round that corner and make his teammates much better. And that's when he started putting those championships together uh, year after year, and he made all of his teammates, even average players, he made them much, much better than they were because they played in the system. Phil Jackson was a great coach. Michael was a great team leader, floor leader, general on the court, in the locker room, everywhere else. And that's when he really became the superstar uh, conversation piece of GOAT, the greatest of all time like he is now. So, 
Yeah, I'm so glad we played during those times, Eldridge. I mean, we, we saw the real deal back then, up close and personal. Did he, did, he, did he ever get you, James? Did he ever get you? Did he ever talk on you? No, not not when I they all get their little sneak dunk when you're not looking, you know, but when, when you contest it, you're going up. When you're going up for it, no, no. He, he never got me like that, but he got a lot of the guys I, I know. <laughs> oh, yes, he did. Yes, he did. Yeah. Yep. So, hey, Eldridge, we got a couple minutes left. Uh, let's let's talk about the Seattle Supersonics, uh, the possibility of Seattle getting an NBA team coming back. What are your thoughts? What are your hopes? And, and when do you think this possibly may happen? Uh, you know, I think it will happen. You know, me and you were both on the, on the board of directors for the NBA Retired Players Association, so you remember the meetings we used to have with Adam Silver. And every time we yeah. had a meeting, and still to this day, every time I see him, I always ask him about Seattle. I know he likes Seattle. I know he wants a team back here. And, and I think whenever the NBA board of directors get together and, and decide that they want to expand the league, I, I think Seattle's going to be at the top of the list along with Las Vegas. Um, your listeners mm-hmm. out there, I don't know if I don't know if all of them have been to Climbing Players Arena, but it's just absolutely gorgeous, man. And I yeah. went for a cracking game, and I shot some video, and I emailed it directly to Adam. I said, man, you got to see this place, Adam. I know you heard about it, but you got to come out here and check it out. And he was like, yeah, I hear it's fantastic. So I think Seattle's wow. going to get a team back. I think Seattle deserves a team. How long it's going to take, James, I don't know. But I'll tell you this. I know this year is the year for the collecting bargain agreement meetings, and it wouldn't surprise me when they decide on a new CBA, if they also decide to expand the league and add Seattle and Las Vegas. I, that that would not surprise me at all. I, I know Seattle's a fantastic – I mean, you look at Seattle, I think it's probably one of the top places to live in America now. It's, it's, it's got to be one of the, yep. the, the number one cities. It's the new Silicon Valley. Amazon's here now. Facebook is here now. Of course, Microsoft is here. Costco, Nordstrom's, Warehouses. I mean, it's just – Money. When I go to the cracking games, James, it's like a goddamn yeah. who's who of the richest people in Seattle. I'm like, well, damn, look at all these rich people here. So there's so much money. <laughs> the cracking has sold out their season tickets for three years. And I think if the Sonics yeah. come back, it's going to be the same thing. And they're going to just absolutely – when I was watching that cracking game and how electric it was, when they when they renamed the street out front, Lenny Wilkins Way, I said, man, if they get the Sonics back, they're going to blow the roof right off this place. I know they will. Yeah, Seattle's such a great sports town too. We got every major sport there except the NBA, and I'm praying and hoping we get them back. I think hopefully in the next two to three to five years, hopefully sooner than that. But uh, Eldridge, hey man, it's been a pleasure, a real pleasure talking with you and connecting, and you've added so much to our program. Uh, I hope our listening audience really got a good a good kick out of this, the conversations uh, and and the insights. Uh, this is Eldridge Kesner, I guess, today, and he really brought it to us about his announcing of collegiate basketball, his take on the pro game, and his one-on-one matchups against the GOAT, Michael Jordan, over the years. Eldridge, thank you so much. This is James Donaldson standing above the crowd, and we hope to see you again next week, same time, same channel. Tune in with us for another great guest. Thanks so much, Eldridge. Have a great day. Thanks, everybody. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for having me, James. You got it.